We are Pixie and Ogre. This is an intersectional LGBTQIA plus friendly podcast led by two lesbians living in the sticks of North Carolina. We discuss topics that support our values, including pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-trans and gender non-binary, and pro-sex work, among many other topics. Pixie is me, Mel. I hold a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. Ogre is Laura, who has no degrees or licenses, but just likes to hear her sarcastic fat ass talk. Hello, we are back. Today's episode, we are talking about cults. And I just wanna give a little spoiler alert disclaimer. We are going to be talking about The Vow, the seven part series on HBO about the cult Nexium. And actually shout out to True Crime Obsessed and their Patreon, that's how I found out about this. Um, so yeah, just a little spoiler alert in case you have that saved. We will be talking about that. So Nexium is a cult. It's very confusing, and there's yes. a lot of a lot of people involved. And I think the vow was what seven parts. Yes, that just kind of dove into the a group of people who were exiting and trying to bring down the company for what it really was. So the two main leaders were Keith Raniere and Nancy Salzman. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so Raniere was eventually, uh, he was convicted of sex trafficking, racketeering, mm. and conspiracy charges. And he's awaiting sentencing, um, which has been delayed due to the pandemic. Nancy Salzman pleaded guilty to one count of, I think, racketeering or conspiracy. And she's, she's like on house arrest or something. So it was her daughter and um, it was just- mm, this, Lauren. Lauren, yes. It was just this whole big messed up thing. And so it was interesting is that it started out as a self-help group, an executive um, kind of workshop of, for executives. And then it turned into this self-help group to empower people. And Lauren Salzman, who's the daughter of Nancy Salzman, she yeah. started her own secret group within the group. She sure did. Wait, did she or did Allie? Well, it was her and Allie who uh, started it. <clears throat> okay. It was called DOS, D-O-S. And it mm, mm, mm. stood for something Latin. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, it was the secret group and it was for women. It, well, it translated to dominant over submissive. Yes. And it was, <clears throat> it was a group set up just to empower women and they recruited some of the strongest women in the group. Excuse me, some of the most attractive and youngest women in the group. Yes. Let's be fair. Yes, and the creepy part is, is that the women who were recruited were told loosely what this group was about, and they were told that they had to give collateral in the form of secrets, whether that be nude pictures or making confessions that were taped and essentially used against them later if they wanted to leave or if they um, displeased the group. And the kicker is <clears throat> most of these confessions were fake. Right, right. Several of the people actually made fake confessions. Fake and collateral just to stay in this group. Right. And so when they were invited into the group and they gave their collateral, they were taken to initiation and they were actually branded mm, mm, in mm. the groin area yeah. with this interesting design that incorporated Keith Raniere's initials and Allison Mack's initials. Unbelievable. I would be so pissed. And these women were basically vowing their loyalty and life and love to Keith Raniere and Allison Mack. And it was, a, the whole group was based on a master-slave kind yep. of, yep. you know, <clears throat> whoever you recruited became your slave, and then whoever recruited you, you were their slave. And it was just this whole sick thing. It was like a pyramid scheme of master-slave situations. Right, and, and a lot of the members would have to text their masters um, for permission, you know, permission to eat this, 
Oh my gosh, um, I can't per- even imagine. Permission to go to sleep now, Master. No. Permission to do this or do that. I wish somebody would. Really? I mean, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it blows my mind. And when one of the women wanted to leave, when she realized that, you know, she, the whole organization was kind of creepy, she wanted to leave and she texted Lauren. And said, oh, this was heartbreaking. It was, it was very heartbreaking. She said, Lauren, you know, can you destroy my collateral? And Lauren was like, ah, oh, yeah, well, uh, no. And the woman. After previously saying that she would. Right. And this woman, um, she said, you know, this isn't real. This is just a game. You're not really my master. I'm not really your this slave. This is just an exercise. This is a metaphor. Right. Oh. It's like, you know, is this what you were thinking when you were being held down and branded with a hot iron? I mean, did you really think that this was a game? She really did. So, you know, if you're interested in cults and you're interested in self-help groups and things like this and I, I do recommend the vow but it, it's there's so many different layers and so many different people involved and and it's just a fascinating story and the end result is that Ranieri and Salzman were both uh, charged and convicted on uh, racketeering sex trafficking things like that and the group is disbanded um, but it's a fascinating look at how something can be a cult and nobody can see it. I mean, they had thousands of members that paid thousands of dollars to take these courses and be a part of this community. And yet, you know, they were trafficking women to, to sleep with, you know, they were vetting these women to sleep with Keith. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it was a it's a fascinating show. But related to that, Melissa has in- interesting information regarding a cult that she once belonged to. Yes, that is correct. Um, I did want to say what's so interesting is after the first episode or so, Laura, you were you were like, I I this sounds great. This self help group sounds great. I would totally do it. And that's what's so scary and damaging about it is that it literally is that easy and until you start going up that pyramid not to say that people on that on that bottom level aren't affected but if they're still willing to be you know not willing to be controlled but willing to give the money and do the work and they make their way up that's when they start to see what it's really all about right and it i think they did do a lot of good and if as far as like a self-help group the some of the the exercises and the um, discussions and things that they were doing promoted you know empowerment of women and empowerment of self and and it seemed like a, a helpful type of thing it was awfully expensive it was very expensive and if you noticed when you know the one thing in the documentary the vow is they had a ton of um, home movie type things and people were always you know around the leader videotaping and getting everything yes. down for posterity yes and if you look at the people in the frames there were very few people of color right and there were very few people of um, who weren't considered attractive or right. you know Young. go-getters right um, and that's one of the scary things is that the, the leader, Keith Ranieri, he wanted to recruit people who were smart and attractive and um, strong. He didn't want weak people. And I, I think that goes to another level of control. Where yeah. He wanted to weed out those people that would question, well, why are we doing midnight volleyball all night long? Why are we... Why am I waiting six weeks for an answer to a question like Mark Vincente did, you know, and hanging on every word? I mean, that's all that that's all control tactics is like keep them waiting, keep them wanting more, keep them interested, intrigued. If you're answering questions right away. Right. You know, you're going to lose your clout, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just really, really interesting. It really was. So I'm going to hear about your cult. Uh, (laughs) So I was part of a cult called the International Churches of Christ, or we just simply called it the church. And um, it started out as a non-denominational kind of 
spinoff, if you will, of the actual like United Church of Christ, which is legit. I'm not really familiar. They're probably, I think, one of the first open and affirming churches around. Now, so like accepting of gay people. Correct. And... Yeah. Now, oh, full disclosure, I don't know, and I've, I've been hard-pressed to find the answer here, but I don't know if this was an offshoot of the United Church of Christ or if there was another just Churches of Christ that was more conservative. But in the 70s, the founder of the International Churches of Christ, Kip McKean, made his own little segue. His own little offshoot. His own little offshoot where it was more conservative and views the Bible as the inspired word of God and it's to be taken literally and used in every aspect of your life. Simple enough, right? Yes. Not, not too bad. Okay. So I joined in 1999, when I was a freshman in college. Mm, it's a ripe age. Ripe age. Uh, I was 17. Well, I turned 18 while I was learning about the church. When I was 17, I didn't have any friends. I was living alone on campus for the first time by myself. So it was really lonely, really insecure, low self-esteem. Just perfect. Perfect picking ground perfect for a cult. cult pick absolutely yeah, like you probably glowed in the dark to them 100 percent. i mean it was just like spotlight yeah. now perfect so then this really hot guy that i worked with asked me to go to church with him oh gosh and i was like i will literally go anywhere with this person <laughs> so now i was raised catholic until about 10 and then my mom just kind of left it up to my brother and I if we wanted to go and of course being 10 and 7 we were like absolutely not this is no no more catechism please <laughs> so I had had no formal religious I even when I was Catholic I mean I we rarely went to church it was like we went on Christmas and Easter and that was about it you so, took communion right yeah I did make my first communion but again just more like I didn't really understand what any of it meant got it yeah I still kind of really don't Oh, like okay. if we're being honest. So, um, so you know, he invited me to, to church. I went with him. I expected a church building. I expected like a Catholic church, right? Right. No, no. It was in the auditorium of a middle school. Wow. On a Sunday morning. And it... Wait, one second. Yes. So we're in the auditorium of a public middle school? Of a public middle school. Of a public middle school. Correct. Which we're supposed to have separation of church and state. Well, so I imagine that the cult rented it out. In fact, I'm, I'm fairly certain that's what happened because we would also rent out other actual church spaces for us. And the, the idea was we were following the scripture, and I don't remember where any of these scriptures are in the Bible, so please don't come for me. But there is a scripture that says church is, and I'm paraphrasing of course, is basically just a gathering of people. It doesn't have to be a building. So like if there are two or more of us out hiking and we're proselytizing and we're singing in worship, we're technically in church. We're holding church. Okay. Okay. So this was the mentality because at first I was like, huh, we're out of school. This was weird. This is a side note here. Did did you ride to church with the attractive man? I did. He drove you there. He drove me there. Oh, that is so sweet. I didn't know where it was. It was quite a ways away. I'm sure. <laughs> and he offered to bring me. Of course he did. <laughs> so um more on him because he did me dirty, but that's okay. No, no. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, I get there, everyone's very friendly, welcoming, everyone's kind of like dressed casually, um, everyone has Bibles, but they also have notebooks, everyone's hugging everyone, um, it just felt very inviting and welcoming. And the music was very different from Catholic Church. It was very like stand up, hand clapping, a lot of emotion, and that's just not what I was raised with, with the very you know, monotone organ of the Catholic Church. So I found it exciting. And afterwards we had fellowship is what they called it. So basically like 
now this is why I think I'm so like, I need to go somewhere and then I have to leave right after. I don't like the whole lingering for cake and coffee kind of, I want to go. Right, I don't want to socialize. Exactly, because it's in this socializing and this fellowship that they get their hooks into you. Right, but there is cake and coffee. There was cake, and, there was, that's true. There you were always donuts, we were well fed. I'm not, I'm, I'm saying I would be hooked too. I'm just saying. So, someone asked if I'd ever been interested in Bible study. I'm picturing living room, people sitting around, you pick a book of the Bible and you discuss it intellectually. I wasn't thinking about discussing it spiritually. Okay. I was thinking like, I mean, keep in mind, I'm a freshman in college. I'm very like school oriented at this point. Everyone has a notebook. So for me, this is akin to like going to class. Right. Kind of like a religious studies class. Exactly. Little did I know that these Bible studies I agreed to were actually a one-on-one Bible study to specifically recruit me. And it fucking worked. Wow. Very quickly. Because they started off very easily. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Sure. Why not? Makes sense. Who else wrote the Bible but God? Or God-inspired men, you know? Right. And then we get to what they call the light and darkness study, where you have to say, okay, if I'm doing this, where am I going? Okay, I'm doing this, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell, I'm doing this, I'm going to heaven. Where do you, Mel, where do you think you're going? And I'm like, well, according to the evidence that you've placed in front of me, (laughs) I'm going to hell. That's right, you are. With bells on it. Yes. Do you want to go to hell? Well, no. Well, then this is what we need to do. We need to baptize you, fully immerse you in water in front of the, the church, your family and friends if you want them there, and declare you know, that Jesus Christ is your savior. I was like, okay, that seems pretty simple. It's pretty easy enough. Yeah, but it just, it seems difficult to go from someone who's not very religious to all of a sudden diving into saying that Jesus Christ is your savior. But keep in mind, I was raised Catholic, so I didn't know any other type of religious, uh, like any other kind of savior, I guess you could say. So I guess at 17, 18, I thought to myself, if I am going to be religious, it is going to be in a Christian religion. Okay. So did you feel religious? Like, did you, did you feel like something was missing and you needed to find a, a belief system or? No, no. But see, what's interesting is a bunch of things happened around the same time that led me to think maybe this whole Bible thing was part, this whole church thing, quote unquote, was part of my path because I had this person I lived next door to in the residence hall who was Wiccan. And I'd never heard of Wicca. I never heard of like practicing witchcraft, you know, outside of movies and stuff like that. Right. And she had just started telling me these things about her experiences maybe a week before I got asked to go to church. So in my very naive mind, I thought that being asked to go to church, because I was, I was a little bit scared of some of the stuff that she was telling me. She was telling me that she had fairy spirit guides and that she could physically see them and that they would appear in her room and sometimes they were mean and scary. And so I started worrying like, if these freaking fairies and elves are hanging out in her room next door, I mean, they right. could easily get into my- Easily, that gap under the door. <laughs> easily get into my right. room. Obviously pest control wasn't doing that job. <laughs> and I was like, so if that could be real, I was a little bit freaked out about it. And then what, a week later, I get asked to go to church. That seemed like a sign that God was trying to help me not go down this other path. Right. Which ironically, I'm now a witch. Well. I always have been a witch, I guess you could say. If if the attractive guy you were uh, you were um, you had a crush on, if he hadn't asked you, would you have found this cult otherwise? I don't know. I don't know. See, it's interesting because we were just talking about this earlier about like if things were meant to happen or if they didn't happen, would we be the people that we are now? This had to happen, I believe, for myself. Right. 
in order for me to have found where I am now. Okay, that makes sense. And granted, I was not in it long. I was in it for about nine months. Um, so in the documentary, The Vow, they talk about this thing called the bite model that was actually developed by a cult exit counselor, Steve Hazan, okay? And bite stands for behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. So what I did was, and I'm gonna include these websites in the show notes, I looked up on freedomofmind.com, which is a like a cult watch website, about how the International Churches of Christ or ICOC or ICC, whatever you want to call it, use those four model, you know, pieces of control in the bite model. And as I was looking over them earlier, I mean, I was literally getting chills at how, first of all, how identical it is to Nexium. Because as you know, as we were watching the show, I was getting all kinds of like, oh my gosh, this is just like the cult that I was right. in. Like, it, yeah. So for the behavior control piece, there's a big part in the cult that I was in and in Nexium where there's permission asking, right? So I can remember at this point now, I'm 18, I've been baptized. I'm what they call a new disciple in Christ. Every, everyone has a discipling partner or a DP and you're basically a category. <laughs> I just got that. That's fucking awesome. I'm sick. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're looking for double penetration. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what everyone gets kind of grouped into a ministry, right? So there's children's ministry, there's teens, there's campus ministry for adults who are in college. There's singles, marrieds. Then there's like chemical dependency, which I think speaks for itself, like, you know, addicts and, you know, addic addiction issues. Um, women's ministry, men's ministry. So you, you got placed into something. So because I was in college, I was in campus ministry. And my discipling partner was also in campus ministry. You're, you had to be in the same ministry so that you could relate to one another. Right, makes sense. So... Her and I hit it off when we became very close. We became very, very good friends and I felt comfortable with her, even though part of the behavior control was me having to ask permission for major and minor life decisions down to where I was going to live. So I was still living with my parents at this point. I had moved out of the dorm and moved in with my, back in with my parents because I only lived like 20 minutes away from school. But the church and everyone in it knew that my parents were not super excited about my church involvement and felt that it would be better for my spiritual development to move out and move in with other followers of the church. Right, the better to control you. Exactly. And I remember saying, at 18, I don't feel ready like maturity-wise or, or financially or anything, I don't feel ready to move out of my parents' house. And I was told, okay, I'll see if we can get you permission. And I remember thinking, you're going to get me permission, thinking, not saying, because I just, saying, I was like, okay. It, in my mind, I was like, you're gonna see if you can get permission for me to continue living in my house? I'm glad you questioned it. And well, yeah. even, if, even if it was just in your head, I mean, I'm glad that that's what started you thinking. It did. It really did. And then big, big thing, especially in campus ministry, of course, dating. We're 18, 19, 20-year-old people. You cannot go on a date alone with someone. You can't go on a date with someone that your discipling partner and their discipling partner hasn't agreed is a good match. Double dating and group dating is very big in ICC. Um, and if you didn't have someone to double date with, you could bring someone along as a chaperone. So I got to be the chaperone for my discipling partner and her boyfriend most of the time. Wasn't that awkward? It was very awkward. It was extremely awkward. Yes. Sounds very uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. Um, and then as far as like information control, so the I part of the bite model, this was a big one because 
So we're talking about 1999 to 2000, that my first year of college. I, I, I obviously the school, my college was onto our group and I had no idea. I had no idea one that we were doing anything necessarily wrong. I didn't know we were on people's radar as being a cult. <clears throat> like I only saw the good parts of it, the parts where my discipling partner was encouraging me and I was spending time every morning reading the Bible and reflecting. Well, those things like meditating and journaling, of course those are gonna make you feel good. Right. Um, connecting with someone socially and spiritually, awesome. But what was starting to happen was, and this was so ironic because I was on the student, uh, the student like uh, clubs council mm -hmm. where we would hire people or you know, have people come in and do talks or concerts or whatever. And this anti-cult group was always booked to come on. Um, and I strategically made sure that I was not involved or there when that happened because the people in the cult told me they're going to spread misinformation about us and it's going to, it's going to really cloud your judgment of what we're doing. So it's best to just not, don't even go, don't even listen to it, you know. It's just misinformation. And you believed it? Yes, because it lined up perfectly with what we were learning in the Bible about being persecuted for your beliefs. So every time there was something like that on campus or if like a new website against us popped up, the cult would take a proactive lead in a sense and tell us about it, but tell us about it to, so that we could avoid it and tell us like, this is more proof that we're on the right path. Right, we're being persecuted. We're being persecuted. This is what happened to Jesus. This is what happened to his disciples. This just means you're on the right path. In fact, um, we were having Bible study groups on campus. We were not a sanctioned campus group. I didn't know that we had to be in order to like congregate in a classroom. I realize now how ridiculous that sounds, but we were just using classrooms to spread this cult information. And one time we got, it got broken up and me and my friend were literally dancing around because this was proof that we were being persecuted and that we were actually on the right path. That's scary. It's very scary. It's very, very scary. So <clears throat> you were in the cult for nine months. Mm -hmm. What made you, I mean, were there red flags along the way? Yes, I think, um, I think the whole like getting permission to, to stay in my own house, and this was towards the end. It wasn't the end, but I was probably a couple of months out of leaving at that, close, closer to leaving at that point. Um, what was really the driving force was we had two mandatory services every week. We had Sunday and then we had midweek, which was usually on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And we were expected to give money, which we always did. I always ended up giving at the very last minute twice as much as I had specifically put aside because the sermon right before giving was so riddled with guilt and sprinkled with, with guilt and shame that I felt like I, I wasn't giving enough. Right. So what I would intend to give 10 or 15, I'd end up giving like 30 or 40. And when you're a student, exactly, <clears throat> that's a lot of money. I was bouncing checks. I, I mean, I was working part-time and going to school full-time and living at home. I didn't have many bills, but I had some. Right. And I just couldn't keep up with all of it. So the cult, and I don't think this is exclusive to ICC, I think a lot of cults work on this like kind of surprise factor of we're just going to spring something on you so that you don't have time to process it. And if you want to still be in good standing, you'll just jump to it. Right. So one of those was, um, oh, by the way, for the cult that I was in, um, once a year we have a, a large contribution where you give 20 times what you give weekly. 20 times? 20 times. Damn. So if we're saying on a conservative week, which I rarely had a conservative week, I was usually giving a lot of money, but let's say I gave 
40 bucks a week. That would be $800. Wow. That I didn't have. Like I physically did not have. I didn't right. have a savings. I was bouncing checks. I mean, my my uh, checking, my checkbook balance is like pre-debit card was like a dollar fifty-two, three dollars, and you know, like it, I didn't have. I literally did not have the money. Right. So, at this point, my discipling partner had changed. Not at this point, but around this time, my discipling partner changed because. My original discipling partner had to leave school. So she was no longer in the campus ministry. She was in the women's ministry. So I had to have a new discipling partner in the campus ministry. She was also a friend, but she took this shit a lot more seriously. (laughs) Wow. She, I wouldn't say that the first discipling partner let me get away with anything, but I felt more comfortable with her. See, so the thought control of the bite model that I experienced and and most people in cults do too is having someone who's above you like that you are expected to confess all of your daily sins including thoughts oh god every single day that's all we would do all day my my partner would be like (laughs) shut up already no more (laughs) no this is from yesterday no no I did this again today Um, yeah, it was awful. I mean, I, you had to confess sex dreams. You had to confess, you, you know, you were expected not to masturbate. You were expected not to swear. You were expected not to do anything illegal. So my parents had one of those cable descrambler situations. (laughs) I wouldn't watch it because it was illegal cable. We weren't paying for it. Um, And I had to confess this every day. Um, My second discipling partner, we were friends, but not as close. And like I said, she took it very seriously. And I remember calling her and saying, so about this big contribution, this is what it would look like for me. It would look about $800. She's like, "Mm mm-hmm. I was like, "I I don't have it. Like, I can't. that money does not exist in my world. And her response was, you can't or you won't. And I said, well, I won't because I can't. Like, I don't physically have the money. Right. And she said, all right, I'll I'll talk to some of the higher up leaders and I'll see if we can get you permission. And I stopped her and I was like, permission for what? Well, about you being exempt from this. I was like, I'm exempting myself because I don't have the money. It's not going to mysteriously appear. Right. And I'm not going to start selling myself on the street corner just to raise money for your church. So then I turned back and I said, can you please tell me where in the Bible it says that we have to give 15 to 20 times what we give weekly once a year? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Right. So I used their own tactics against them. Was it the money issue that brought you to this level, to this point of being so frustrated that you were like, no? It was this specific issue. It was this issue of like, I'm telling you, I can't do it. And at this point, like being such a rule follower that I was and am, like I had done everything. I had done and put myself through a lot. I had... Before you get baptized, you have to make a list of literally every sin that you've ever, ever committed in your entire life. Oh my gosh. And read it out loud to a small group of women. Well, typically it's the same sex. And some of these women I had never met before. And I had to go through every single one. So I felt like I had done this. I had done acts of service, acts of service being I called out of work one day so that me and my original discipling partner could drive two hours away to White Plains, New York, and literally clean from top to bottom. I'm talking baseboards. I'm talking everything. Our leader's mansion. Oh, hell no. Mm -hmm. Oh, hell no. 
I mean, and, I was out a long time ago, but but hell no. But now I'm and of course hard we, hell no. We weren't compensated because this was an act of service to our leader. Who was the leader? Did you ever meet the leader? Yes, and it wasn't like so. Like the founder was the Kit McKean guy. Our leaders were a married couple. That's typically how it went. It was typically married couples who led congregations. And I met them all the time. I didn't really talk to them much, but they led women's seminars, they led talks and all kinds of things. It's just interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, were they, like, did you idolize them? Were they, did you look up to them? Like they were some sort of deity or? Not to that extent. I did look up to them because they were older and they seemed to have their shit together. And I, I remember thinking like, I could probably, you know, meet some of my, my goals while being in this group because they all seemed successful. They all seemed happy and like they knew who they were. All things that, I mean, most 18 year olds don't have but right. I definitely felt like I was missing those pieces of myself but I didn't idolize them so the money thing was the last straw for you the money thing because like I said having done all these other things I felt like I felt I felt a little bit resentful that here was something I literally could not do and it still I still wasn't getting a pass right so um, I remember we would travel to Harlem every Friday night for a campus ministry thing. And it was actually a lot of fun. I, it sounds weird to say, seeing as we were in a cult and I'm not in it anymore. But it was fun because you were connecting with other people your age. Um, and it, the groups were very diverse. Like our group had all kinds of races and cultures. And, and that was also something I wasn't used to seeing like in the Catholic Church. Right. So, but I remember this one night we were driving back from Harlem after I'd had class and work all day to find out that we were going back to the house where everyone, most everyone lived and that's where my car was. And we were going to do an all night prayer. Woo woo, sounds fun. And I did it even though I was exhausted, even though I didn't know about it ahead of time. And I feel like that could have been and should have been enough like, I need to put like my bodily needs, like I need sleep ahead of this, but I didn't. And then to come to this yearly contribution thing and still be met with like, I need to get permission, started my wheels turning. So when you decided to leave, did you just simply walk away? No. So it was a little bit of a process. I do remember after that conversation with my discipling partner, the next midweek service, which was probably only a couple of days after, it wasn't at the school auditorium this day. For some reason, it was at an actual church in the same or in the next town over. So I went there and I'm in the parking lot. And I'm watching people that I, I've known now for almost a year getting out of their cars, going inside. And I literally felt like I was going to throw up. I became overwhelmed with nausea to the point where I opened my car door and was like expecting to throw up. Hmm. And it was just like, all of a sudden, all of this seemed wrong. All of this seemed wrong. I still went inside. Okay. I still went inside because it was expected. Right. I was expected. People had already seen me. You were trained. There you go. I went in there and we started singing and that was my favorite part. I loved the songs. I loved singing. It made me feel close to something bigger than me. And I loved all of us singing together. But I started crying because I realized, I was beginning to realize that this was not going to work. Right. And that this was going to be something I was going to miss. So my discipling partner notices that I'm crying. She takes me downstairs and we pray. Well, first she asks me what's wrong. And I'm honest. I'm like, all of this just doesn't seem right anymore. It just does not seem right. And she's like, well, I think we need to pray. So we prayed and she was like, okay, how about, how, how do you feel now? And I was like, yeah, I still feel the same. So she's like, then we need to keep praying. And we did this for about 20 minutes. And then I was like, 
I just, I just don't have a good feeling about this. I still finished the service. I still sat through the service and took notes and sang and did all the things. I don't believe I did fellowship. I'm pretty sure I left. And that was the last time I ever went to church, to that church. Did they try to? 100%. They tried to suck you back in? Oh, yes. So I was prepared to go to church on Sunday. So this was, again, the midweek service where I almost throw up. So now we're at Sunday morning. I had an obligation to pick up someone who um, I was trying to recruit into the church. And she didn't have a car, and that was a big part of it. We were literally just picking up strangers all over the state of Connecticut and driving them to church. Something I would never do now, but I did all the fucking time then. And she called me at the last minute and said she couldn't make it. And I was aggravated and disappointed and I had been rushing around like trying to get things done. And then this thought in my mind popped up, what if you just don't go? And it was like once that thought entered my mind and I was allowed to think that, immediate relief, Mm. immediate relief. And I was like, huh, I'm not going. I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay in my pajamas all day and I'm not going to church. And it was like, the more I kept saying it, the more empowered I felt. But my original discipling partner showed up at my house that day after church because I didn't call anyone. I just didn't show. Okay. Now, I do believe that they were probably afraid something happened to me because when I tell you I did not miss church, I fucking did not miss church. I missed my great grandmother's 90th birthday party, but I didn't miss church that day. Okay. So they were probably concerned like something happened to me. Um, and then once they realized what was going on and I said like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not coming back. Then the calls and the member answering machines, <laughs> answering machine messages with Bible scriptures. And you were considered a fall away if you stopped going to the, the church. You were falling away from God. Okay. So you were dangerous. You were dangerous to current members because you could sway them. Right. So it was understood like me leaving meant all of those friendships I had were over. Did that make you sad or did it make you realize that they weren't real friendships? It made me realize they, there weren't, they weren't real friendships. I called two friends that I was closest with at that time who were not in the, in the church. And the, I hadn't spoken to them for months. And, and I don't know who stopped first. I want to say it was them. They were probably fucking tired of hearing about the cult. That's all I could talk about. I was like a robot and it was just Bible, Bible, Bible 24-7. Wow. So the first words out of my mouth when they each picked up, hi, it's Mel, I left the church. And then they were like, okay, now we can talk to you. I I had to start with that because I was so aggressive on trying to recruit my friends and talking about this all the time that I had to start with, I'm done with the church, so that they wouldn't hang up on me. Right. Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary how you can get to that point where it's all you think about and, I mean, and, and you were slowly trained to do this yep where it's all consuming that's right and and it's all about saving your soul so Mm -hmm. you'll you'll go to heaven and not hell what happened with the cute guy oh so this is interesting he had been involved in the cult previous and had left and he was trying to get back in i was literally the sacrificial lamb that he brought with him oh i was essentially metaphorically an offering to show that he was committed to coming back of which he didn't so he 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 threw you under the bus he threw me under the bus and he ended up not going back to the church he went to maybe one or two more services after that and never saw him again i i i never spoke to him again until about a week before i was ready to leave the church and then he was like yeah that's all why i did and i was like then why did you get me involved in this? Huh. And he really didn't have an answer. Interesting. Yeah. Did you ever get over your crush with him? I wouldn't say it was a crush. He was just a very attractive man. Uh I mean, I'm gay, so, you know? Yeah. But he wasn't a very attractive man. Good. Good. (laughs) 
So I'm, I'm glad there's a, a bright line in that story. <laughs> it was a very attractive man. Yeah. Um, it, just the way that they controlled, and I thought that they were disbanded because I heard that the founder was, the founder stepped down or resigned in like 2002. Um, and apparently they did put new leadership in, and it is still an active cult. Why not? They're making good money. Yeah. Yeah. Cults are just fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've often wondered if I would be sucked in. Well, you would have been in Nexium. You were ready to, you were ready to take those classes after the first episode of The Vow. Yeah, just the, the thing with Nexium that got me was there was a lot of touching and kissing. There was a lot of touching and kissing. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm not a, a lot of kissing on the lips. A lot of kissing on the lips. I'm, I'm not a toucher or a kisser. Ugh. I'm not even really a hugger. Like, I, you know, we're great. We're great friends, you know, whatever. But stay over there. Yep. We can we can love each other across the room. Yep. You know? And in every video shot from Nexium, it was people greeting each other with kisses on the lips and mm -mm. hugs and constant no. touching. So uh, from a self-empowerment type of, you know, stance, I think yeah. that I could I could benefit from it. But it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of commitment. And I think that's why they like strong, uh. like successful, executive-driven type personalities because some of the folks that we saw in the documentary, they were like top salespeople in the company that they worked for and also Nexium. Right, and they, they worked for free for Nex at, at Nexium, teaching classes right. and recruiting and promoting and all of this stuff and so I mean yeah they needed strong people to you know maintain a normal life and do the work of Nexium. Right. But what was interesting about Nexium too and I think this goes for all cults is having like their own language that also kind of goes under that emotional control from the bite model. Yeah. Like they would say things like that just sounds like it's your limiting belief. Right. Or maybe we need to do an EM explore meaning and, and you know and what you're talking about. In the cult I was in, a lot of it was, well, like discipling partner, that was your new best friend. Then they're often said, um, you know, you shouldn't wear that because it could make someone struggle. You shouldn't do that because it can make someone struggle. So I remember once I was singing a song in a car and this guy was like, I really don't like that song. And I was like, oh, and it kind of in my head, like, too bad I'm singing it. Like, not to be an asshole, but... Right. Okay. So I kept singing it, and he was like, you're going to make me struggle if you don't stop. And I remember thinking, like, struggle in what way? Are you going to punch me? Or what? Like, I don't understand. Right. It's a song. But it was so part of our language that it was like, you could pull that I'm about to struggle card out at any time to make anyone stop anything that you just happen to not like. Is that akin to, can we compare that to the word triggered? I, no, I don't think so. I know you don't like the word triggered or the concept feel, of being triggered. I feel that it's overused. I agree that it is overused, but I think, and, and unfortunately because of that, the importance of it when it's actually used is diminished. correctly is diminished. Yeah. I hear triggered and I just, I tune out because it's, it's, yeah, that is unfortunate. People say that about everything, you know? Yeah. And it's, so the whole word has lost any kind of meaning or importance to me whatsoever. Yeah. I can understand that. I can definitely understand that. Um, but it reminds me of the, of the struggle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I could, I could definitely see that. And it was definitely something you could just pull out like, you know, according to the Freedom of Mind website, and of course I didn't get to this point where I was married in, in the group or anything, they talked about leaders would have to grant permission on who you're going to marry. You had to come up with how many times, how often you and your partner had sex. You could not say no. Excuse me? You could not say no. So this is part of, under the bite mod, I... So you had to agree and submit in writing, we're going to have sex three days a week. According to Freedom of Mind, so it says, if you're married, you're told how often to have sex, usually at least 
three times a week or whatever your discipling partner thinks is a good amount. Not you and your spouse, your discipling partner. Wow. This is coming directly from Freedom of Mind website. Wife must not say no. Husband must not say no. There's no such thing as autonomy or boundaries in marriage. You're responsible for making sure your spouse does not struggle with lust. And since masturbation is not allowed, that means making yourself available. Wow. That's a whole different... That's... Which I had no idea, of course, because I was only 18 and I wasn't even close to being married. That's archaic. And to go off that, there were many couples in our our regional congregation that were, you know, it was whispered that they used to be gay. Oh, they used to be gay. Mm. And they were married to each other. Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, that, that's that's scary. Yeah. And I had no idea about that until I looked it up on that on this website because dating, I didn't date anyone. I was only interested in one person, and it was a female, so that was discouraged, of course. Oh yeah, homosexuality was deeply discouraged. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I'm uh, I'm an anti-organized religion type of person, mm-hmm. just in general. And but cults fascinate me. Fasc- they and are fascinating. I have a, a somewhat a small amount of respect for people who are religious or people who do need spiritual connections and meanings and things, but. Like, some of this stuff is just fucking insane. Like, mm-hmm. not being able to say no and women taking a back seat in the marriage and, you know, the, the dominance yes. of men. And that just, I don't know, that to me just really scares me that people are, are letting themselves believe this. Yeah. You know, that their, their voice isn't as relevant or isn't as strong as their male count, counterpart. That's right. You know? We only had male leaders. Like, all the male leaders were married to women and their women counterparts would lead the women's version of whatever. So like if we were gonna have like some kind of talk, the leader's wife would lead the women's ministry doing whatever, but no woman actually got up there in a service and preached. That's just that, that's just really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's on cults. Yeah, today was an interesting day. <laughs> Learning about Nexium and the cults and all that good stuff. Yes. I've enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye. If you are interested in sending us listener letters, asking for advice, sharing something unusual or topics that you want us to discuss, send an email to pixieandogrepod at gmail.com. That's P-I-X-I-E-A-N-D-O-G-R-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. Thanks.